Today on Government Matters, the Defense Department says goodbye to one of its top cybersecurity leaders. My exit interview with Deputy DOD Chief Information Officer Essie Miller. Discipline differences in the Air Force based on race. Two veteran leaders in the Air Force tell you what should change to change the culture for the better. And a new vision for a new way forward in intelligence. The director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Vice Admiral Robert Sharp, details that vision. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Defense Department has a commercial virtual remote environment, 2,000 new remote devices, and increased internet connection capacity to stay up to speed during the pandemic. Some telework programs the Pentagon's developed could stay in place after the virus isn't a threat anymore. Essie Miller is Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Department of Defense. She's retiring after nearly 40 years of public service. Essie, thanks very much for coming on the program. Congratulations on your retirement. We'll talk about that in a moment. What are you learning, you and the IT team at the department, learning from the telework effort that you've undertaken? Wow. Hey, thanks, Francis, first of all, for having me. Uh, we're learning, I'll tell you initially, that we've got a pretty dedicated, resilient force here, really focused on mission. And that was real, real, really good for us to figure out early on. Uh, but that also meant they were hungry for a capability, be it voice, video, file sharing. We went from 95,000 people to just over a million people teleworking in a matter of two, two months. Uh, which meant we had to push out tools, we had to push out training. We moved at an unprecedented rate to put capabilities in the hand of the force, which meant also what kind of determining what kind of equipment we were using, how we need to increase network and voice capacity, and you mentioned CVR, how we create that collaborative work environment. So it's been very telling for us because we had to spend time determining how do we posture a force that's not used to working remotely? You know, do's and don'ts of teleworking, do's and don'ts of being on the network from a remote location, how to work with a personal device if you didn't have GFE, just a lot of training, throttling back on things like video streaming and music, and then putting antivirus software in the hands of folks for home use. Just a tremendous effort across the department to get us through this. And I think we've set the stage for a work environment postured for telework in years to come. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go next, Essie, is what you, what groundwork you've laid and how you expect this to change the way that the Pentagon works moving forward, because it strikes me you've done an awful lot of work that would seem to, it would seem you would not want to just turn around three months from now or six months from now and just go back to the way things were and have all that work just kind of go away. I think it's less of a technology discussion, Francis, but more of a let's talk about mission, let's talk about business processes, and then look at what we need to put in place to support that. You know, our goal was to make sure we put a sustainable environment in place to support the voice video chat requirements, and also make sure that folks had access to the information they need from a remote location. So as we move forward, now it's we're looking now at how do we take this environment and what investment we need to make, oh, to make it enduring. It's probably the best word. Mm -hmm. 
what have you learned security-wise that you will use moving forward in whatever the next normal looks like for the work environment in the department? Biggest thing is reinforcing hygiene, of course, across the force. Making sure people really, really embrace the idea of the way I work in an office is the same way I should work at home. The same things I do are just as important, even though I'm not in an office environment. On the operational side, you know, we're continuing to do everything we've done before in terms of monitoring. We see the increase in email given the virus and the change in environment, but we've done a really good job of segregating those the spam emails and watching indicators of compromise. You know, and it's very encouraging and reinforcing to know that from an operational side, we've put the capability we need in place. We just need to make sure we keep it current as technology evolves. We just have a couple of minutes left. I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you're retiring after a distinguished career in the federal government. Why now? What, what happens in someone's mind when she decides, I think I'm ready to, to retire? And what's next for you, Essie? You know, we all have mentors and people that we work with and have guided us over the years. And I've always been told that I would know when it was time. And when I started thinking about 35 years, you know what, it's time. Not that I will stop. I'll take a little bit of time to decompress and figure out what I wanna be when I grow up. But I think I'll have an opportunity to continue invest, to invest in the community and shape that next generation, which is really where my heart is, Francis. You and I have spoken about that on a number of occasions. What do you think the best thing is that a leader in your position can do to invest in the next generation of leaders, Essie? I'm big on the conversation, Francis. You know, we've got to make sure those coming behind us really, really understand the development piece, the emotional intelligence piece, all the things that go into becoming a leader, because it's not always about technology, but how to balance that. We've also got to make sure our college students understand the opportunities that are available to them in government. And I think we need to do a better job of making that visible and transparent. I, I didn't know until I started 35 years ago that I could serve in this capacity as a civilian. You think about the department, you think about the military, and you always think about joining one of the services. You know, we've got to reinforce that there's civilian opportunities to be had. We have about 30 seconds left, Essie. When you step back from the department and you continue to watch it from the outside looking in, how will you judge the success of the groundwork of the work that you've done over the last 30-some years, particularly over the last several years, as you've been such a senior leader in cybersecurity for the agency? I think the key will be to watch the digital modernization strategy. Because you know, we've put a plan in place, I think it is enduring. And if we stick to the plan, again, absent of technology as we watch it evolve, but focused on capability, I think we'll, the department will be fine. And I'll be excited watching from the outside. We've just got to stay focused. Essie Miller, thank you very much. Congratulations on your career. It's great to have you back on the program. Thanks, Francis. I appreciate the relationship. And thanks for your support to the department. Up next, a look at diversity in the Air Force. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the inclusion problems the military faces and how its leaders can fix a broken system. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. Leaders across the country and across the United States military are speaking out about the death of George Floyd. One of those leaders is the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. Chief Master Sergeant Kayleth Wright wrote on Facebook this week, as I struggle with the Air Force's own demons that include the racial disparities in military justice and discipline among our youngest male airmen and the clear lack of diversity in our senior officer ranks, I can only look in the mirror for the solution. While this is a complicated issue, I, along with every other leader across the force, am responsible for making sure it becomes a reality. What have I been doing? Not enough. To look at how the Air Force and the Department more broadly can and should move forward, General Larry Spencer, U.S. Air Force retired, President of the Armed Forces Benefit Association and former Vice Chief of Staff of the Air Force, and Michael Donnelly, the 22nd Secretary of the Air Force. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the program to discuss this issue this morning. Larry, you suggested this topic to me. I'm grateful for that. You point out that you're seeing a lot of concern among the rank and file of the force on social media. What's the tenor of what you're hearing airmen talking about today, Larry? Yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for uh, addressing this subject. Uh, I think Chief Wright was very courageous uh, in the statement he made. And he's reflecting uh, what I hear from a lot of the troops, both office, officer and enlisted. You have to understand that the military is essentially uh, a reflection and a microcosm of the country. So everything we all Americans are seeing and struggling with and dealing with uh, and trying to wrap our minds around these same conversations are happening within the military. And a lot of people are understandably uh, upset. They're understandably nervous. They, they really just want to know what should they do, what is happening. Uh, one of the things I try with is to explain that uh, I had the opportunity to live through uh, the civil rights movement, live through uh, protests over the Vietnam War. And, uh, I, you know, people have talked about the uh, killing of, of, uh, of George uh, Flynn of Florida, sorry, as, uh, as a turning point. And it, and it feels that this point, I think, has got the entire country's attention and the military included. Mike, what similarities and what differences do you see between this series of events and others that you have led through? Well, I do think this is a as Larry suggested, uh, obviously a reflection of a broader debate, uh, sharp debate that's emerged in our society. And the military uh, is not only not immune from that discussion, but needs to participate in it and be active in it, especially in, in terms of how we look at these issues inside the military establishment. So uh, military's had to deal with these issues over many years in different contexts. Uh, President Truman, you know, signed an order to integrate the armed forces in 1948, but we're still not completely there uh, in terms of uh, justice and uh, diversity across the Air Force, opportunity, all the things that uh, Larry has mentioned. Um, but we've also been through similar experiences with uh, integrating women into the armed forces, having to address the problems of sexual assault that come from the, uh, from uh, having men and women serving together in close quarters, and also the uh, issues of uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, community and gays in the military. So these are issues that have come up periodically, and they are all issues uh, in our society. They are all uh, current issues uh, in our military as well, and they demand uh, 
the attention of leadership. Larry, uh, General Goldfein and uh, Chief Master Sergeant Wright did a virtual town hall about this subject the other day. They've been very out front in talking about this. And General Goldfein's basic message, if I may paraphrase it, was, we know this is serious and we intend to, intend to address it. What's the most important thing to happen next? I'm not asking you to second-guess General Goldfein or, or tell him what to do, but what would you like to see leaders in the Air Force do to, to demonstrate that they're serious about taking action on these issues? Yeah, I actually think I, I, I set through the uh, Facebook uh, town hall that, uh, that both uh, General Goldfein and, uh, and, by the way, I think they were very uh, courageous to do so. I think the next steps continue what they have started, and that is a dialogue. Uh, one of the things that uh, this incident has caused, as tragic as it is, it's caused folks, Americans, to look at each other and for all of us to start talking and asking questions. They're asking questions. Folks in the military are asking questions. Why is this happening? Where has this been? What is this all about? Um, so I think the next step, or at least I hope the next step is, General Goldfein has set the tone. He started a dialogue in Chief Wright. I'm that command uh, and members throughout the whole uh, dialogue. Mike, we have about a minute left. Larry kind of set an agenda for the uniform side. What would you like to see civilian leadership doing inside the Air Force to, to really try to make lasting change here? Well, I know Secretary Barrett has uh, opened up a closer look at the military justice issues that have been raised by the recent uh, GAO report and others. Uh, that's an important start. But I do think Larry's right. The question is, what's next? Uh, leaders have the obligation to confront these problems, uh, not walk away or turn their head from them. Uh, they got to bring people together uh, to begin the dialogue and the discussion. They have to listen, uh, and they have to uh, find and communicate a way forward for the force. So I think that's that's the challenge ahead for the for the leadership. Uh, and it, this also demonstrates the importance of these matters to the force. Diversity is a great strength of America, and it's important that our military reflect that diversity and learn how to harness it to help unify not just the military, but have that as a reflection of a more unified country and something that helps move forward the fulfillment of the promise of our democracy. Mike Donnelly, Larry Spencer, thanks very much for the conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Up next, a new business model for geospatial intelligence. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency on his new director's vision. You're watching ABC7. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has a new framework for the future of GeoInt. The agency will focus on a whole-of-enterprise approach to geospatial intelligence. Vice Admiral Robert Sharp is director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Admiral, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. That whole-of-enterprise approach is one of the actions in your new director's intent. Tell me who all is included in that whole-of-enterprise. Who are all the stakeholders that you're talking to here, Admiral? Yeah, thanks for asking, uh, and it's good to see you, Francis, again. And the last time we were together, we were talking about NGA strategy and the how it was focused on people, partnerships, 
while we meet today's mission and prepare for tomorrow's mission. And uh, what you're getting into here is that enterprise approach, leveraging all the partners that we have. And in addition to being the director of NGA, I also have functional management responsibilities and run a national system for geospatial intelligence along with an allied system for geospatial intelligence. And that forms the core of the enterprise, working with other intelligence agencies, um, the combatant commands, our services, along with our allies. And then uh, that really is, is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we also partner with academia, industry, labs, a whole range of international partners. And that really is core to our strength, our people and our partnerships. We've spoken on a number of occasions, Admiral, about the fact that the, the business model, in addition to the mission of NGA, is changing and evolving. What's your sense of how the directors intend, including the whole of enterprise approach, primacy to core missions, and being the world's premier geo-int force, are changing as a result of the business model changing, uh, changing around you and, and, and the world of geo-int changing around you? Yeah, you'll note that uh, we talk about uh, this being a time of, of being challenged and also a time of, of great opportunity. And the challenges that we're facing are captured very well in the national security strategy, the national defense strategy, the national intelligence strategy. And it harkens to a lot of competition uh, that we face as a nation and as nations. The opportunity comes with advances in technology and those advances in technology aren't available just for us, they're also available uh, to the world. Um, so that's that kind of frames the, the challenges and opportunities that we're facing. Um, but it's interesting that, that what we're facing right now with a pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis, has allowed us to explore ways that we can evolve ourselves to be stronger and smarter and better in how we do things and leverage technology to greater effect. I'm struck, I'm struck by that, Admiral, because you're not the only intelligence person that I've talked to that has said, this is an opportunity for us, the, the COVID crisis is an opportunity for us to think about doing the same things that we need to do, achieving the same mission, but doing it in a different way. And I wonder what you're seeing, what you're exploring that you can talk about at least uh, along that line. Yeah, that's a great question, Francis. And I could tell you that as we and, and the rest of the government uh, moved out to deal with the very real crisis and threats that were being faced by our workforce, the initial steps we all took was to drive down our physical presence within our buildings. And we, we became focused from day one on protecting and preserving our force and families while continuing to meet the mission critical needs of our nation. So as we drove down our physical presence, we also took deliberate steps to get our force connected and communicating and collaborating. So we uh, improved, made some significant improvements to our unclass unclassified infrastructure, which is helping us not only stay connected, but explore new ways of doing business at the unclassified level. And this was a tremendous opportunity for us because we had already envisioned doing more work at different classification levels, which was built into our design for what you're aware of, the new, the new uh, headquarters we'll be building, we are building out in St. Louis. And the, the fact that we had 
already designed that to be 20% unclassified, 20% reconfigurable, the rest of it uh, highly classified. Um, this has allowed us to leapfrog and start to explore with technologies and processes that we had envisioned for the future. Are you uh, anticipating being able to accelerate some of those timelines, not about construction, construction is construction, but some of the conceptual and strategic things that you and I have talked about before, are you anticipating being able to accelerate some of those now as a result of what you're learning from dealing with COVID? Uh, ab absolutely, and we've already done so. So in building out that unclassified infrastructure, uh, we also have explored ways that we can continue to meet our mission critical needs from our disaggregated uh, force posture that we have right now. And we've been very successful in continuing to meet the mission critical needs of our nation. And as we are all looking at reconstitution and recovery as, as we deal more successfully with the virus and numbers go down, um, we, are, we have also been talking about reimagining our own business processes and how we operate. Admiral, I would love to learn more about those next time you come on and uh, hear an after action report. It's great to see you. Thank you very much, Admiral Sharp. Thank you, Francis. Be well and my best to your family. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.